We have five sections in this uh, worship center, section one, section two, three, four, and five. And I have a tendency, uh, because of where I came from and habits that I developed for 30 years, to focus on section three. So I would like everyone, if you wouldn't mind, to please move to section three. <clears throat> section ones, two, four, and five, how are you guys doing this morning? You doing all right? All right. It's good, to, it's good to be with you. For the next three weeks, um, myself and then Todd and Josh are going to speak to you about a, basically uh, lessons that are themed with our campaign that is noted on the front of the bulletin this morning, Heroic and Tools for Men. We're going to sort of expand that, but this is, I was curious this morning, um, the ladies that are here, if you wouldn't mind a show of hands, how many of you are interested in the, the, spiritual, the spirituality of the men that are around you? How many of you are interested in, in men growing in Christ? And I don't mean in, in a critical way, but I mean in a very encouraging way. How many of the ladies here are interested in men growing in Christ and being who God called them to be? All right, thank you for that. Guys, those of us that are guys, I, I wish that, that we would note that. And what I'm going to talk about this morning, I appreciated Randy's, uh, his reading of, of the psalm. Um, I'm going to talk about an aspect that God has called us to in, our, in how we are to, to, to be men, if I can. I'm going to talk about that, the king as, a king aspect the character of a man's heart. Todd and Josh will be developing three other what we're going to call pillar, pillars of a man's heart. We're going to say that there are four pillars, four characteristics in a man's heart that are, that are really huge characteristics. And I'm going to talk about one, this one called King. There is a scripture in uh, Ephesians chapter 6 that we're all familiar with. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. What Paul said in that scripture, it doesn't feel that way a lot of times. For me... And I'll bet it doesn't feel that way a lot of times for you either. What I mean by that is how, how often it feels like the, that the problem absolutely is clothed in flesh and blood. How often it feels like that the problem absolutely is someone that I have a difference with. Or sometimes the problem feels like myself clothed in flesh and blood. But Paul brings to mind, he's trying to get us to understand that that. For us to be distracted to that, for us to think about flesh and blood and to not, to not understand the greater reality, that's a strategy that Satan employs. He employs it to distract us from truth. He employs it to weaken our resolve, to incite division rather than unity. He would like us at times to see one another as the problem. He'd like me to see my neighbor as the problem. He'd like me to see the leader of our country as the problem. He'd like me to see the problem clothed in flesh and blood. But flesh and blood is not who our struggle is against. 
There's a spiritual war raging that is a much greater reality than the one that we perceive with our physical senses. And that's hard to keep in mind because the physical senses are urgent. They focus on the urgent. Our enemy is ruthless. He is deceitful. He is remorseless. One of the great truths of the Bible is that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. And I always want to keep that in mind. I love that John said that whenever he wrote his, one of his short letters. And our God is a God of hope. He's not a God of despair. No matter how often you turn the TV on and you hear news that challenges your heart and wants to bring you, to, wants to bring you down, we serve a God of hope. That's part of what we come together to be reminded of. But sometimes there's a truth that we need a wake-up call. And in the next three weeks, to some degree, this is a wake-up call for the men among us. It's a call to arms. It's a call to action. It's a call to resist complacency and the, the pull in the direction of the world around us. It's a call to fight. It's a call to fight like Christ. It's a call to fight for what is right with a willingness to sacrifice whatever it takes in behalf of those we love. So we're going to be looking. Heroic. Tools for men. There's actually a section in the Home Point Center that's undergoing a, a bit of a remodel right now that we're going to create an area that is just a resource area particularly designed for men. The theme of heroic is support and fellowship for men in Christ. There we go. If I have to punch it four times, that just means that Satan doesn't want you to see that. <clears throat> okay? Our short-term focus is on men for, these, for these, this three-part series. But the truth is that this series is in behalf of every member of every family that comprises our church family. Men, women, and children. Men, we need each other. We need each other. We need to be there for each other. Older men among us, uh, of whom I am one, I'm feeling that more and more each day. I did a lot of work yesterday, and I took a shower at the end of the day, and I, I remembered that whenever I was a younger man, I used to take a shower, and when I'd get done, I'd feel like a new man. Now when I take a shower, I just feel like a clean older man. <clears throat> Older men, we need your wisdom, we need your fellowship, we need your time. Younger men, we need your humility, and we need your strength. And middle-aged men, we need your enthusiasm, and we need your courage. When you build a home, everybody knows it. Probably everybody's had, either you've had knowledge of this or you've had hands-on experience of this. You have to start with a solid foundation. You've got to start with something that won't move. Movement means trouble. Cosmetic trouble, even like cracks at the very least. 
But ultimately, without a solid foundation, what you see above the foundation will be compromised. And all that we, and all that I'm, um, we're going to be talking about in these next three weeks, this is, a, this is a key point. What Paul wrote about, and when he said, uh, I'm, I'm behind, aren't I? Apologize. Or I'm ahead. Well, I'll, okay. There's a key point that he made. Let's see if I can get to the right slide. Skip, just forget this one for right now. 1 Corinthians 3.11. Paul said, no foundation can be laid other than one that has been laid. And what is that foundation that has been laid? It's Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about these four pillars of a man's heart. King, warrior, friend, and mentor. The pillars are important, but the foundation underneath those pillars is Jesus Christ. The pillars have to be built on Jesus, or the pillars are, 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 they'll be compromised. The foundation has to be right. I need to know Jesus <clears throat> like I know the back of my hand, so that who he is can become who I am. When I decided, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share some things that uh, a man named Stu Weber wrote in a book called Four Pillars in a Man's Heart that we're, we've all used to sort of to, to sort of organize and, and track our thoughts as we share these, um, share these pillars with you. But one of the things that, that uh, Stu Weber said is, when I decided to follow Christ without reservation, it was then that I became a man. He said, America's destroying herself today because her men standing at a crossroads without a map in their hands and only a broken compass in their hearts are choosing their own way. One of the things he said was when a man decides to veer off course, everyone in his family pays. He lifted up and he, he, he talked about the importance, not that not the, the men have preeminence over women or anything like that, but just the importance of the, of the role that God called us to. He said that I, I believe the greatest position a man can hold is his office as head of the home. The world is not calling us so much the, the track of the world, the pull of the world, is not calling us, is not saying to us that that's the, the highest thing that we can be as men. The world may be calling us to be CEOs or CFOs or, or have, our, have our own company or to be more economically successful or to, to uh, find the thing that you enjoy recreating the most. These are the voice of the world in Christ. The voice of God says that the highest thing that you can be as a man is to fulfill well your office as the head of the home. And then one other thing that he, well, one other thing that he says is to fail at home is to have failed everywhere. These are reasons that, that what we're saying this morning and what we're going to say for the next three weeks are so important. And we know this. We know these things. If only knowing a truth was the question. But Satan also knows that truth. And it's a spiritual battle that we're in. That means that implementing that truth is never going to be easy. But guys, we're not looking for easy, are we? We're not. I don't think we're... When we decided, when we decided to follow Jesus, we didn't decide to follow him because we thought it was 
the easy way, in, at least in the sense of that it, that it doesn't take great effort. Maybe we decided to follow him in the, that it was the easy way and that he said to us, come to me all you who labor and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. In that way, we, we, we followed him because we knew that's a great need of our heart. But as guys, we, we responded to Christ because Christ challenged us. He holds something up before us and he says, he says, I'll lead the way before you and you come and follow me. The fundamental pillar of our society, the family, we know this. It's been under assault for years. It's probably been under assault ever since Eden. And its crumbling has long been a vital concern to Christians, but don't miss this progression um, or digression, however you'd want to call it. The artillery salvos are escalating against something even more fundamental. It's more than just an attack of the family now. The very notion of what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman is under attack. So Satan's, Satan is is working hard but here's another beautiful thought to me that when the battle rages there the loyalty of the soldier is proved we're not living in peacetime we're living in time of war and during this life I, under, I understand that there are there are easier times than others there are times when in a sense we've been at peace I remember when I was a kid and Vietnam was going on most of the time that I was a kid I used to wonder if the world was ever going to be at peace. I have a picture hanging in my office of my brother-in-law when he was in Vietnam as a 20-year-old, as a 20-year-old kid. When he was in the army and, and standing there and just kind of looking, and it's an interesting picture. It's, he looks almost forlorn. I used to wonder, are we ever going to have a time of peace? In this world, we, there is no peace. In this world, Jesus said, you'll have trouble. But he told us also not to despair. Because he's always with us. He always lifts us up. There's a war being raged for the hearts of those that we love, man. Our wives, our children. I know our circles of influence go beyond that, and our circles of affection go beyond that, but that's where it starts. And Satan loves it whenever we're busy with what seems so urgent that we miss what's truly important. And what is important in this life? What's of, what's of greatest importance? I know what's of greatest importance to me, and, and, I'm, and I'm, I want God to be number one always in my life. In this world, after that, it's my wife. It's my children. It's my grandchildren. And it's, not, it's my neighbors. And truthfully, it's whoever in life I treat like a neighbor. Will they know Jesus? Will they see Jesus in me? Will they see Jesus in you? That's what we're called to, guys. This first pillar. Man was made by God to have the heart of a king. The heart of a king. In Genesis 1, 26, following, then God said, let us make man in our image and our likeness 
and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Let them rule. Let them rule. King, I want to address something this morning, and right here it seems an appropriate moment. King could be a scary prospect when you say, guys, a guy, king? Do images of a dictatorial rule come to your mind? Abuses of the weak? The old saying is that power corrupts, right? And that begins in the home sometimes. Issues like authority and submission and equality are particularly sensitive in our modern climate. And I know that. But remember... As we're talking through all of this, and as we're talking through what Todd will say, as we're talking through what Josh will talk about, remember through all of that that the foundation that we talk about, the pillars are built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. We need to know him well because our ultimate interpretation of authority and kingship relies on our picture of the king of kings. A balanced picture of a godly king is imperative to understanding who Jesus is calling us to be as men. Mr. Weber said a king who's not merely a servant, a king who is not a servant is merely a tyrant. We're not imitating King Saul. We're not imitating King Midas. We're called to imitate King Jesus. In Eden, in essence, God has communicated that to men that. There is something of a king inside your chest. He says, he says, in essence, I've placed it there. I've made you a leader and a provider. When men are acting like King Jesus type of kings, loving and calming and reassuring and sacrificing and providing, then everyone flourishes. It's the king and a man, that, that first tall pillar of the heart that longs to build peace and security for those around him. And I, I love this. That's who I want to be for my family. It's not bossing. It's serving. It's not demanding. It's caring. It's not strutting. It's stooping. It's not leisure, it's labor. And it's not a golden parachute, it's a cross. It's so easy to take a gift that God has given us as men and choose to be selfish with it. I've done it over and over. You know the principle that might makes right? Is that right? Of course it isn't. Of course it isn't. We're still playing by outdated rules of self-assertion and self-promotion and self-absorption and self-elevation. These are things which are never appropriate in God's kingdom. So here's something to remember, Christian husband. Your kingly crown is a crown of thorns just like King Jesus. Think about it. God, God didn't come to earth for himself. He came to earth for you. Your marriage is not given to you for you. 
It's given to you for her. Your marriage, men, is not a gift for your satisfaction. It's a labor for her development. She's not a gratuity for you. You are a sacrifice for her. You're not just to be drawn to her beauty. You're to render her beautiful through your own willingness to endure pain and to sacrifice in her behalf. The heart of a king is a provisionary heart. Pro, before, vision, sight. See ahead. See beforehand. Look ahead. The king in a man looks ahead. He, He anticipates needs. He spots potential dangers. He defines direction. He charts a wise course. Unfortunately, the king and a man is a dying breed in our culture. I say that. Things probably have a, a tendency to cycle. But I think this is a, it's a fair perception in our right now, right, right modern-day American culture. There are probably a lot of reasons for that. And maybe one big reason is a lack of a, of a positive example example for a lot of guys. The Decline of Fatherhood, this was written back in 1997, which is getting to be a long time ago. The Decline of Fatherhood is one of the most basic, unexpected, and extraordinary social trends of our time. The trend can be captured in a single telling statistic. Remember, this was 20 years ago now. In just three decades, from 1960 to 1990, the percentage of children living apart from their biological fathers more than doubled. He, he said, it was said predictively at that time that this rate continues by the turn of the century. That's going from to where we are now. If this rate continues, nearly 50% of American children will be going to sleep each night without being able to say, without being able to say goodnight to their dads. Father absence is a major force lying behind a many of the attention-grabbing issues that dominate our news right now. Crime, delinquency, premature sexuality, out-of-wedlock, teen birth, deteriorating educational environment and achievement, depression, substance abuse, alienation among teenagers, and the growing number of women and children in poverty. Man, when you hear those things, does that not burn inside your heart? Does that not burn you up? Mr. Weber then said, if we men don't get our act together and our masculinity, then there's no hope for our country. I'm no, I'm no prophet. I'm no, I'm no interpreter of circumstances. But there's some biblical principles that always have been truth as long, for this realm that we live in. And this is one of them. Never abuse the power of the king in your chest. From time to time, that temptation bites all of us, and we got to get over it. Given the battle, given the statistics, given the depressing consequences in our society, what hope is there that men can turn things around? This may sound backwards, but this is where hope begins. Left to ourselves, we're totally inadequate. I don't know what you're saying to yourself right now whenever you consider these things, but But left to ourselves, we are totally inadequate. What a great truth to consider. We can't do it alone. 
We need some divine intervention. And God never calls us to some task that he doesn't enable us by his gifts to perform. We're called to throw ourselves at the feet of the King of Kings, beg his wisdom, his insight, his grace, and his blessing. At whatever point in life we wake up to our responsibilities as kings, God calls us to take a stand in his strength and to point the way. It's never too late to begin doing the right things. I want to, I want to finish this morning saying just, a, just something real brief about this a particular characteristic of a king. What does it look like to be a king in real life? Psalm 23, where Randy read from this morning. You could entitle that psalm in, in a sense, the king as shepherd. God begins to give us help when we open his word and he begins to paint. And you imagine David in that particular circumstance. What was his training like for becoming a king? The place was the wilderness. The enemy was large and fast wild animals. What was on the line? His family's ultimate welfare. In the wilderness and oftentimes alone, David was being prepared for life ahead to become a king. The Lord calls upon the family's head to calculate potential dangers and to take appropriate actions to move toward his God-given destination. God's given us humble, kingly ability, and we need to take it, what he's given us, and use it courageously. Day and night, sunlight and storm, hot or cold, the shepherd's job was to stay alert to danger. Psalm 23 is this psalm of the pro-visionary, the king shepherd who looks ahead, who sees before. It's a psalm of David's roots with God in the wilderness. It's how he was trained to protect and provide for citizens that one day he'd be given responsibility for. And for us, it begins with our families. A king, shepherd, husband, father, realizes that he's in a unique position to give honor like nobody else. And that no one can truly replace that responsibility for him he avoids certain things with those that are in his care. He avoid, avoids things like sarcasm and put-downs and belittling words and things that can diminish the honor of a person. Instead, he, he chooses to tenderly care for the sheep. So what's the first pillar of a man's heart? It's the king pillar. It's the king pillar. It is a provisionary pillar. We're called to have the heart of a provisional shepherd, servant, king, like King Jesus. In everything that God calls us to do, in the, in the New Testament, he, in, particularly in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he paints a picture there so that we can look at that picture and realize that when I say king, 
That's what I mean. When I say shepherd, that's what I mean. When I say provisionary, someone who looks ahead, someone who cares for those that are following with him, that's what I mean. This morning, we're, we're going to have our shepherds, the front and back of the, of the worship center, as we sing a song of invitation. I'm a, in your hearts, I, I'm inviting all men to respond in their hearts, to take what the baton that, that God is extending toward us, and to accept the mantle of this first pillar, the mantle of king in your family. Remembering what that means. Remembering that it means to be like Christ. We're going to stand and sing, and if you need to come, we invite you to come now.